1: Today we want to welcome Alyssa Ramos to the Unimpressed podcast and I'm unimpressed that Alyssa has not been to Charleston, South Carolina yet. So how are we doing today?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we could make this work in between uh, trips. (laughs)
1: Nice, nice. So you're on the go uh, on a yearly basis. I mean, what's your week look like when you travel?
2: Um, Well, it's a little different now, of course, with the pandemic. I've slowed down this year quite a bit, um, but I'll give you an idea pre-pandemic, if that's okay.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, Great.
2: Okay, cool. So I've been traveling full time for eight years now. I've actually been nomadic for four years, which means I have not had an official home base for four years. I just kind of travel wherever I get um, a business deal or wherever the wind takes me or fate takes me pretty much. So pre-pandemic, I was averaging about 35 countries, new countries per year. Um, so a typical week for, for me, uh, depending on if it was for, for preference of me wanting to go somewhere or for, for business, um, I'd arrive usually on a very lengthy, tiring flight, um, take the day to kind of rest and adjust to the new time zone. And then right away, it's immediately first thing in the morning, getting out there, um, figuring out what the best things to see are, talking to the locals, eating the local food, finding out the local secret places to go um and then of course it's capturing content for me because that's my job so i have to take tons of photos video content and at the same time learn as much as i can in a very brief uh, short period of time so that i can educate people on the destination and write blog posts about it as well
1: you said you have to adjust to time differences and and what is that like cuz i i travel we have a lot of uh, comedy shows that are on tour. And when I travel, I'll go somewhere for three days then fly back home. I'm usually pretty drained. Do you get tired, uh, you know, when you travel like that?
2: Yeah, I would say in the past, those past eight years of traveling, if I were to count like all together, all the times I've been jet lagged, I would say I have probably lost half a year of my life just being drained from like trying to catch up to the new time zone. Because a lot of times, Uh, I was doing big, big uh, stretches. Like I was going from the United States all the way to India or to Bali and it's the opposite time zone. So my morning is usually like the middle of the night and you're like, why am I so tired? But you have to keep going. Otherwise you're going to miss out on doing all the things during the day. So it's very draining. I've uh, tried to come up with some theories for handling that, like not checking what time it is back home. But of course that's hard to do if you're doing things for business as well, because you have to... Be somewhere at certain times in another country while you're in another country. So it's a little bit tricky, but <laughs> I think uh, sleeping as soon as you get somewhere helps a lot.
1: Yeah. Now so, where is, where is home and where's the family?
2: Don't have a home still. Uh, my last home was in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. That's where I'll be going uh, back to in a couple of weeks. Um, but the majority of my family lives in Miami. However, I call LA home. Cause that's where I lived before I was traveling a lot. So I have my family, family in Florida. And then I also, I do still have family in Cuba. That's who I was visiting. So we're all over the place.
1: Nice. Nice. You said, you know, this is your job. Now, how do you monetize what you do?
2: So it's technically a secret, but I will tell you because it's not really a secret anymore. People are, uh, uh they're posting, you know, how to do this job. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm guilty. I've spoken at numerous conferences, uh, around the world actually about how to do what I'm doing. Uh, I, but I have to let you know right up front. I am lucky because I got my foot in the door eight years ago. That when being a travel blogger was unheard of. People were laughing at me. They're like, "That's not a real job. Go get a real job." You know. And I was actually already in the game uh, before the, the word influencer existed. And I kind of got that title by association. So I was already on. I was one of the first, uh, actually, solo female travelers on Instagram posting photos. And I got a lot of recognition for that. So early on, uh, I would say I I started out um, writing for other people. And then I just formed my own website, started my own story, and then grew an audience, took a long time, uh, took going viral a few times to get those numbers up. But uh, I started monetizing by charging. Sponsors, of course, to do sponsored blog posts. Now I have a separate entity with Instagram where I charge for Instagram posts, for sponsored posts. And now I'm actually at the level where uh, my Instagram followers uh, come traveling with me and uh, I do group trips. So that's a whole different line of revenue right there. And then in quarantine this year, I actually started a shop, so like travel jewelry. I started a swimmer line. Um, So that's another revenue stream.
1: There was this one girl who used to travel around the country and she would have uh, a certain budget, right? And she would show how she could go somewhere for a week and try to live on, say, $300 a week or something, you know, and eat the foods and things like that. Um, And we approached her to develop a TV show for Travel Channel.
2: Yeah, I, uh, especially when I was in L.A., I got approached several times by producers, um, but it was hard because the concept, of course, for me, my niche is solo solo female travel, uh, and it was hard to kind of figure out a way to show someone traveling solo. Obviously, you're not solo if you have a camera crew with you, so <laughs> that kind of got vetoed a few times, but um, now I'm actually working on a YouTube series that has gotten a, a, some attention already I haven't even posted it yet um, because I am now interviewing local artists and influencers that are millennials in other countries um, and sharing their stories and then they take me out I live their local lives with them um, and it's called um, in their voice or in the yeah, in their voices and then it's like I just did one in uh, Havana that was really really special so hoping to continue with that
1: well and another thing is that I'm a I'm a firm believer you know in, in how People are environmentally driven. You know, I think all human beings have the same sensitivities and we are made up of different things. Each human being is made up of different things. Do you see a drastic uh, difference in a narrative to different places you go?
2: Sure. I would say one of the top things I noticed is quality of life and then um, the way that people, I guess, treat each other. So um, I hate to say it, but in the U.S., as someone who's been outside all over the world, I, I kind of feel a lot of hostility here towards like everyone has hostility towards each other. Whereas in other countries, majority of other countries, people will just say hi to you for no reason, or they'll ask if you need help for no reason. Or they'll be like, oh my God, are you from the US? We love you. And there's a, and that's, and that's something that I like to share often, because a lot of people think that other countries don't like American travelers when they actually were like the number one top loved type of traveler. Um, but definitely quality of life. I've been to so many places like Bali and India, even Cuba, um, where people don't have that much money, but they're so happy just because they have loved ones and they have food, you know? So it's, um, it's a lot different, a lot drastic, drastic differences. Even with Europe, people are, you know, they're very, you know, they're content with just sitting outside and eating for hours. Whereas here, everything's very fast paced, like, all right, got to get food or like, who's paying for this? Who's paying for that? Where everything's a lot, uh, I would say more chill. Um, so that's definitely always something that I notice and I always look out for as well is are people happy? Are they friendly? And, you know, why or why not?
1: Well, it's funny you say that. And it's, uh, yeah, the pace here, I think, is is tremendous. And I think we get caught up in that pace. My saying to that is I think America has forgotten that we still have opera. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because. Yeah, because nobody nobody listens to opera anymore, and everything's got to be three hundred miles an hour, you know. So I definitely, I definitely get what you're saying. Now, you said you went to Bali. Now, is Bali the most spiritual place you've ever been to?
2: Bali's beautiful, and I hate to be stereotypical, but um, the movie Eat, Pray, Love is pretty on point. Um, there, they their religion, you know, it's it's so special to them, and every more. I've lived in Bali uh, for a few years, not years but like one month out of the year for three years in a row. Um and I really just love every morning they or three times a day actually they uh um, they come out with little flower and incenses as offerings and you know they're very they're very lovely there and they're very sweet. Um I will say though India was very I felt very spiritual there as well with their meditation and their yoga and things like that. Um it's all very beautiful uh and it's hard to find I feel like the real like spiritual you know, places that are truly like into it. You can like feel the energy, but I've definitely, those two places, and I hate to say it again, cause it's so cliche, but like India and Bali are like some of the most spiritual places that I've experienced.
1: I'm pretty dead on with that thought process of Bali being a very spiritual place.
2: Yeah. You just have to go to the right places. Like, um, a lot of people, most people actually go to Seminyak. Seminyak's kind of like the party area, I guess you would say most tourists go to. Um, but then there's this other area called Ubud, which is now getting more and more popular because now all the spiritualists, yogis and meditation people go there. They have a, huge yoga school there um but if you just like stayed a little bit in the outskirts it's like it's real the spirituality is real like i feel like some places try to fake it you know as like a novelty Mm -hmm. even in ubud i feel like it's almost fake because it's oh and like places like tulum that's not spiritual that's all fake that's all like americans and europeans coming and making this fake spiritual place you know that it's really just people going there to party and say that they're being spiritual when it's not it's not actually accurate um but yeah, if you go to Bali and like the outskirts around Ubud it's just it's really magical and and you see it like you see it you can't fake it. It's yeah. every single person yeah. like the poorest people are doing it, the farmers are doing it and you see them and they're on the floor and they're praying. They have the marks on their on their foreheads from the prayers.
1: What's your thought process and influence in spirituality?
2: Um, For me personally, um, after seeing so many religions and so many different cultures and things like that, uh, my spirituality lies on the level of very universal. I consider myself a global citizen, of course, um, and I'm very I'm not per se religious myself. Um, But I am accepting to all religions, of course, all cultures, all spirituality, um, because I like to take in pieces and I like to hear the story of each person's understanding and what they believe in. And then that kind of has adapted to me having this random universal spirituality thought process where like every night instead of praying to a God when I go to bed, I'm like, okay, okay. Uh, thank you, universe. Thank you, Shiva. Thank you, Buddha. Thank you, spirits. Thank you, ancestors. You know, and I pray to like a plethora of people that I think are like watching over me and guiding me. Because to be honest with you, the life that I live is is really random and it's really special, and not that many people can understand it, and definitely cannot do it. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. It's like living. Uh, it's like living ten lives at once. Um, and it's really crazy, but I really do think that I was meant to do it, and I think that the universe has me here for a reason, and I'm just doing what I feel like is right.
1: Well, I mean, I, I 100% agree. I mean, I think that you learn life based on how, when you see how people live. You know, I think when you see how other people live in different places, and obviously, to do what you do is a free spirit. So, I 100% agree with that because. When you, you look at religion or, or spirituality, whatever you want to call it, and you take 10 figureheads of whatever belief they are, uh, I hate to tell you, I don't think there's like 10 guys up there hanging out. You know what I'm saying? My Life is a Movie. That's kind of your stick. Uh, overall stick
2: it's a travel movie Uh, it did start out as my life's a movie because I started writing about Hollywood and then I very quickly realized that I hated writing about Hollywood and how and I was just like everyone here is so pretentious and no offense to anyone in Hollywood but like it was the same thing over and over again and it was like what parties are you going to and what red carpets are you invited to and who are you wearing and for me I grew up poor with a single mom I didn't have any like designer clothes and so materialistic things for me aren't ever a big thing And then one day it just like dawned on me. I was like, I need to do more than just do Hollywood. So I left, I traveled solo for the first time I went around the world and I came back and I wrote about it. I actually wrote about how I was uh, upset about how I was treated as a woman traveling alone. I got uh, a lot of bad names called to me.
0: Uh So I
2: voiced it. I published it on Huffington post and it went viral and that, showed me how many other women there were like me, you know, like we want to travel the world. We don't want to wait for a partner or a friend or like other people to be able to go. We just want to go and be okay with going. Um, so yeah, my main entity right now is my blog. So that's my life's a movie. And then the social media channels are their whole other thing as is, you know, a YouTube channel.
1: Where did you get the biggest resistance? Uh, the female resistance, where did you get the biggest juggernaut per se? like situation when I was
2: first starting um like I was saying people they told me that tra- you know travel blogging is not a real thing if I if people asked me what I did I said I'm a travel blogger or I'm trying to be a travel blogger They're like you're never gonna make money that's not a real thing um uh, and then that was one thing but I was like whatever I know what I'm doing but the second thing that was hard was um how many people were negatively talking to me about being about traveling alone so they were like what's wrong with you? You know, like, when are you going to get married? Like I I was in a sorority in college. Everyone's married with a baby right now, except for me. And I'm fine with that because I'm like, well, I got 107 countries under my belt. You know, I get to live wherever I want. Um, But I did get like a lot of hate, Um, you know, people accusing me of having like a secret sugar daddy paying for my trips when I was really like working my butt off just to get enough money to buy a plane ticket. Um, So that was rough, but I just kept talking about it. And the more I talked about it, the more people related. And that's how ultimately my audience grew and more importantly, my my faith from my audience. So my, my audience trusts me a lot. And that's why, you know, now, eight years later, they trust me traveling halfway around the world on a trip that is somewhat potentially dangerous.
1: I think when you have a passion and you're very consistent with that passion and don't let anything knock you off the road. Uh, you can make it a success if it's, you know, if you're passionate enough and you build value, build value in that passion, people will come, you know, I think money will come, people will come and, uh, that's definitely the right direct, you know, the right take on it.
2: And being authentic and, and, you know, like real about it. Cause there's so many people that like, will take a nice picture they won't tell you anything about the country they're in or the people they've met or, like, even what the religion is or are there, like, you know, is there racial, like, problems here? Like, is it safe to go for anyone? Um, so, yeah, that's another way I think is a good way to become successful is to be very truthful and real.
1: And I talked about that the other girl that we try to develop a TV show around. How did you, how do you budget yourself on these trips? Is there a certain way you budget? Do you have a strategy with with money when you do go on these trips?
2: And the, My budget now, I'm very, very thankful for it because I don't have to think about it. But in the beginning, it sucked. Um, actually, uh, it, my first big trip where I had to de- I had to decide between having an apartment and traveling in order to pursue my, pursue my dream. Uh, so I gave up an apartment. I became homeless and I just traveled Southeast Asia for like a full month, I believe. And then I was fortunate to garner a lot of attention from that and uh, get a, a deal. And one deal, uh, the payment from one deal can fuel me for a, a whole month.
0: Okay. So um, nice. with one
2: Instagram post, I, I could pretty much travel off of for one month. Nice. So nice. I just, yeah. So I, uh, the way I budget myself is if I don't have a deal, um, I'll go travel somewhere or like get a place for a few months that I can, it's somewhere affordable. So that's why I go to Playa del Carmen in Mexico and I go to Bali. because It's very affordable uh, besides flight to Bali, of course. Um, but, In the beginning, I was trying to keep a budget of $2,000 a month. And that was like a backpacking budget, Mm -hmm. but I was already at 25 when I was traveling. So I refused kind of to stay there. So I would just get really budget hotels or Airbnbs or something like that. Um, but now my budget is a little bit bigger, of course. And I try to do like 1500 per trip. And my trips are like a week and a half to two weeks, which I feel like is still good.
1: You mentioned LA and you mentioned people being very superficial, right? Uh, that, that type of lifestyle, uh, do, after what's going on with the pandemic and everything, that type of lifestyle doesn't seem like it's carrying a lot of value. So I think it's about a message and direction and re- being refreshing, uh, to your audience. Uh, what's your opinion about that? Uh, after experiencing that in LA,
2: that's actually a really great point that I haven't thought of before, um, how right now I'm just so grateful that. I didn't stay there and, you know, value things like who I knew or, you know, how famous I was or what parties I was getting invited to, because right now nothing's open. Everything's closed. People are dying. And what, what value do you hold if you never left and never did anything, especially for other people, you know, like I I do things for other people everywhere I go. Um, And for me, it's like, I hate to say it, but to be honest with you, during the pandemic, I felt completely okay. Even though my whole business was at stake, I was like, you know what? I've done so much. I've gotten through so many things. I have so much experience with not having money or resources. So I'm fine. Like, even if I ran out of money, like I just did in Cuba, I'm getting stuck there with no food. I was like, you know what? I'll be fine. I'll figure it out. Because um, overall, ultimately, these people are way worse off than I am. And I'm grateful, you know, to know that I'll be Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's actually like, it's kind of crazy. Cause I I talk to my friends in LA, the first thing they do, of course, is like kind of complain, nothing's open. We can't do anything. I'm like, well, you can go to the beach. Can't you?
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why I was in, I, I just recently moved to Charleston, South Carolina. I was in New York city area in North in New Jersey for 12 years. And, uh, when this thing hit, I said, it's time to go to the beach. So that's why I moved my whole operation to Charleston and, uh, I'm happy we did because it's uh, it's a little crazy up there. Another thing I talk about all the time is curriculum in schools, right? I don't think the curriculum in schools is, is very beneficial to kids. I think it slows kids learning down. You know, have you ever thought about something like uh, like pitching like a, you know, you're almost like a textbook to the world? You know, I think there may be an angle there, you know what I'm saying? Like a virtual angle of teaching kids about different places that you've been, where you go, if you could get a feed, if you could work something with schools and get a feed into schools with you, yeah. how you travel, I think that would be more educational than what the kids read in the textbooks. What do you think about an idea like that?
2: Yeah, for sure. Actually, it's funny because uh, someone, one of my followers, just commented and they said that a uh, school or university should give me an honorary doctorate because of how much information that I share, namely about Cuba. Um, but one of the goals I have long-term I've I've written a few books. I just haven't gotten around to trying to publish them yet. Um, but what I wanted to do really was do a book tour all around America and share my story to high school kids. Because when I was in high school, you know, I'm from like the town that my parents moved us to is like predominantly white and like, and I'm Cuban. So it's like, I, I don't even know how we ended up here, but it's like the, the mentality was you have to go to college, you have to get a job, you have to get married, you have to have babies. And that's the route I was going down. But I always felt I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to like make money and go do my own thing. So I'm hoping really to do a book tour and schedule a lot of things like that. And I just want to show them I want to be like, look at my Instagram, like these look at the places I've been, you know, and I'm I'm 33 now. And I'm still doing this. Imagine what you can do when you're younger, and all the opportunities that there, there are right now, like they're so l- lucky, you know, like, they can have full careers doing what I'm doing at such a young age. And I just really want to like convey the message that what's in their hometown, isn't what's that's, that's not all there is in the world. And that's not the people that, you know, personally are not the only people in the world. And like, you think there's like bad, you know, you know, you think there's racism and things like that in America, you go to another country where it's completely normal that people are different colored and people treat each other equally. And it's like, I feel like they would just be like mind blown. Like, what would you do? Like, one time i had the idea of you know finding a random person who doesn't even have a passport like middle of america dropping in casually and being like hey we got you a passport we got we got you off work in school you're gonna come with me to india you know yeah. or like somewhere like culture shock completely and like just teach them that there's other ways that you know people live different lives and this isn't you know i think people would be a lot more peaceful a lot nicer to each other if they would just see that and experience it
1: well i think we Perpetuate an old script, uh, you know, an old script of time. We perpetuate that in our school systems, which I think causes more division. So, yeah, when you learn, you you learn life about people. So, I definitely agree that the more people that kids would be able to experience, whether it's virtual or one on one, I think is way more educational. 100%. Oh my god! Yeah,
2: I don't remember learning anything about history, about the world, or geography. In any of my schooling, and I'm like, when I first started traveling, I was like, how do I not know any of this? It was like embarrassing almost. I'm like, why was I never taught any of this? Yeah, and it's just yeah. like, oh my god! And especially with another language, something that I, I have to like constantly reiterate over and over again is I hate when U.S. people are like, oh, why don't you speak Amer or why don't you speak English to people? And they go to another country and they'll be like, oh, no one here speaks English. And I'm like, well, it's not your country, and also the majority of the world. Even third world countries can speak English as a second or third language.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
2: I wish that schools would like make it more not even mandatory, but more like uh, encouraged. You know, like explain why it's a good thing to know another language, how beneficial it can be to you in the future.
1: With me, I don't understand any other language than e- English, unfortunately. I wish I did, but I I know what you mean. Um, yeah. What are you doing next? You're in you're in Miami now. You're kind of at a pause of. You want to do more local? You said something about you want to do more uh, domestic traveling?
2: Um, When the the time is right, I mean, I know that right now traveling isn't really that encouraged. Um, For me, it's a little hard and a little different because that's my life and I don't have a home base. Um, So I'm trying to decide right now if it's a good time or not. I have a Mustang that I store in L.A. So I was considering getting my Mustang out of storage and driving it across the U.S. uh, back to Florida and then heading back to Mexico. Um, Mexico has a lot of amazing destinations that are so underplayed because people, a lot of people, I think stereotype Mexico as either don't go there. It's dangerous or like go to the beach and go to Cancun, mm-hmm. but there are so many hidden gems there. So I was thinking of maybe doing some more travel there until things kind of clear up. And then I have a rather aggressive, uh, schedule starting in June. I'm going to spend a few months in Africa, um, uh, probably like six countries, hopefully um, and then head back to Bali. <laughs>
1: Talking about Mexico. How do you, what are your challenges there as far as getting around? Have you run into anything that's out of the ordinary that was kind of unsafe?
2: For sure. sure. Uh, so, uh, I lived in Palo Carmen, as I mentioned, and I'm not going to be, um, I mean, I'm going to be fully honest with you. There is danger there. Like things do happen. It's not every day. It's not anything like a random shooting or anything like that. But it, there are, you know, cartels there that are dangerous and they want money. And especially right now, times are hard and they're they're robbing people more. Um, the taxis will rob you and then the police will rob you. So it's kind of like a lose-lose situation. It's also relatively unsafe for um, solo women at night. Uh, during the day, there's no problem. I don't really go out at night, so I can't really say, like, how I felt, you know, anything in danger. I also have an advantage because I speak Spanish. Um, but it's hard getting around in that area particular because you have to rent a car to get anywhere. And the car, you know, rental companies will scam you (laughs) and then um, it can be dangerous if you get stopped by a police because they'll want to bribe. So yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky situation, tricky destination. There is a bus though. That's relatively safe. It's safe. I've never heard of anything happening on the buses but it goes, you know, Cancun, Playa del Carmen, Tulum. But after that, there's no public transportation, so you really do have to rent a car. You have to be comfortable with renting a car. It's a little tricky there.
1: Well, what? Uh, well, see, that information right there is very, very important uh, for people that have not ever been to Mexico. So that's, uh, if somebody's listening to this, there you go. There's some information. And if you want to find out more, you can follow Alyssa Ramos and yeah, uh,
2: I have a whole, whole, whole like 32 tips, safety tips on my blog, which is movie.com, specifically for just Mexico. Really? <laughs> it's unlike yeah. anything I've seen. <laughs>
1: now the 32 tips are just for Mexico? Yeah. Really? <laughs> nice. Nice. So yeah, check out the 32 tips from Alyssa Ramos. Uh, she's a nomadic traveler, blogger. I think she's a wealth of information. If you, if you do the textbook, to the world thing you know give me five percent okay yeah i will (laughs) i think that's hey i think that's that's, (laughs) yeah i think that's the i really think that's the future you know if we're turning into a virtual world it's just getting um the brick and mortar government to understand that you know i I think uh i think we could fast track education if if we locked ourselves into this type of situation um for sure Is there anything else um, that we didn't cover that you'd like to talk about?
2: I mean, for me, some other things that I kind of like to casually promote is um, I know that the boom of the influencer kind of made mass travel in certain places a thing, um, but I like to encourage people to seek out lesser known places so that you're not bombarding the atmosphere with all this tourism that they can't handle and sharing the wealth amongst other people. Um, I also like to encourage people to talk to locals, support them as much as you can, Um, try to be eco-friendly as much as you can. It's a sustainable traveler. We will very much appreciate to continue to have a world to travel in.
1: What is the best food you've had in what country?
2: Oh my God. That is such a hard question. Okay. Let me think. Let me think. Okay. I don't know. It's hard to say because I love sushi and Japan obviously is the Mecca of sushi, um, but tastiest. And I'm also, I have to mention I'm a pescatarian. So um, tastiest is probably India. They, their spices are just amazing. Those are probably my two favorite. Again, I'm biased though, because I'm pescatarian. Cool. Yeah, I have to say those are my two favorites.
1: Fish, fish and vegetables.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to cut out fish though, I'm trying to help contribute more to stopping global warming, but it's hard.
1: <laughs> superfoods, go superfood route. I take superfoods every day. Oh yeah. Yeah, every day. Good for you. Nutrient dense superfoods. It's uh, yeah. a, a I of mine, get back on that. yeah. A buddy mine. Yeah, a buddy mine owns Purium Health Products, and I didn't. I've known him for 25 years or 20 years, and the first 10 years I thought he was full of shit until he changed <laughs> until he changed my life. So uh Oh
2: wow. Yeah. I'll so, look into
1: that. Yeah, it's all good. Yes, Purium Health Products, Dave Sandoval. Uh check him out. Nice. If, yeah, if you wanna find out how to get the most out of nutrition. He's the guy and his 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 foundation of, of foods is so far ahead. Uh he's still he's still probably 10, 20 years ahead of the curve. But that's, you know, when you watch the Jetsons he's going to be the multi-gazillionaire that makes all the food. If he's not dead by then, you know, another 10, 20 years. So yeah, yeah. so cool. Alyssa, I love what you do. I appreciate you coming on. Travel safe, be good. Uh, and uh, this has been your Unimpressed Podcast. I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bank Productions. Thank you, Alyssa. Appreciate it. having me. Yes, thank you.